Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Hall. I am the host of the Alligator Sports Podcast this semester. Um, after a summer off, we are back. The Alligator Sports Podcast is back. I can't wait. I'm so excited to be hosting this this semester. We have a lot of great guests lined up, starting out with this week, bringing on Brandon Carroll from SI All Gators to talk some Florida football season preview, Utah preview. It's going to be great. Make sure to listen in to that. Um, I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Let's roll. Taking a look around the Gator Nation, Gators Volleyball is off to a hot start this season, beginning with a 3-0 weekend in an invitational they hosted in Gainesville, taking down UNF, East Tennessee State, and UVA before losing Tuesday night to Stanford in a five-set thriller. Head coach Mary Wise enters her 32nd season as head coach of the Gators. Now former Florida tennis player Ben Shelton decided to forego his remaining years in Gainesville and turn pro. Shelton was the 2022 NCAA singles champion and helps the Gators win the 2021 national championship as a freshman. Shelton lost in his Grand Slam debut in the U.S. Open just this past weekend. Meanwhile, UF Soccer is off to a 2-3 start under new head coach Samantha Bohan, getting a win Thursday night against USF 2-1. Now we're going to kick it to my interview with Brandon Carroll from SI All Gators talking Florida football, the start of the Billy Napier era, Utah preview, the whole nine yards, and then on the other end, you're going to get a full rundown of everything to expect from Florida Athletics this week as the fall seasons get started for a number of teams. And now, here's Brandon Carroll. Brandon, thank you so much for joining the Alligator Sports Podcast. It's game week. We've made it. Long summer, long spring, long offseason, but we're here. How are you feeling entering, uh, entering the fall, entering your senior year, your last semester in UF? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of surreal, obviously. UF's always been my dream school growing up, so just getting the opportunity to attend the University of Florida and also get to cover some amazing sports during my time here has been incredible, and I couldn't have dreamed of any better opportunity for me to kind of follow my passions at a school that's always been the goal. And so seeing that come to an end, while it might be bittersweet, it's still you know something I can look back on and always say, I went to UF, so. Yeah, absolutely. I've got another semester left after you, so I've got a little more time. I tried to drag mine out as long as possible, um, but it's definitely a little surreal that it's going to be coming to an end here pretty soon. You mentioned being able to cover a lot of great sports here. You recently got promoted at SI Alligators to the lead reporter job. Congratulations on that. How has that transition kind of been for you? And talk a little bit about how you started at SI and where you are now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the transition itself, or here, I'll just start with where I kind of got to this point. Um, so right out of high school, I actually just DM'd a few people on Twitter, just trying to kind of gain footing because I knew I wanted to go into sports. I wasn't sure exactly what route I wanted to go into, whether it was a sports management role or a sports journalism role. But in high school, I kind of had the idea that sports reporting sports journalism was the direction that you know i wanted to head so i started reaching out to sports journalists and things like that um, just kind of asking what it entailed uh, what kind of i needed to do to get into positions to kind of 
get my feet wet in the industry. And I reached out to my publisher and now one of my good friends, Zach Goodall uh, over at SI. And he kind of has been huge for me in getting opportunities and just kind of leading me in the right direction. He set me up with Locked On Jaguars initially. Um, and when that went down, um, not too long after Demetrius Harvey left to kind of take on a new role at Big Cat Country, who's now he's now at the Florida Times Union. Congrats to Demetrius. But uh, it was just kind of like snowballing from there. And I got a, a Zach, who was the publisher of All Gators, put me on in January 2020. I worked as an unpaid intern from January 2020 to December 2020. I started getting paid in I got promoted in December of that year and i got to go cover the sec championship game uh my first ever credentialed access which was just fantastic i couldn't that that was the craziest thing ever to me like literally the first time in a press box first time going through all of the kind of game day settings was at the biggest game of the year at that point and then kind of just getting to see that progression from you know unpaid to uh actually being on staff and then this last august or it is august still but uh literally 15 days ago, maybe a few days, give or take, uh, I got promoted to the lead reporter role where I've really just been doing the same thing, just an increased uh, workload, not too much, but it's it's been a great experience and I couldn't have asked for a better start to my career. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I know what that first credential experience is like. Um, it's amazing. Like I was able to cover the Florida football team for the Alligator last fall. I've covered random games, random bowl games here and there for a bunch of smaller companies. There's really nothing like it. That first time you walk into a press box, it's a, it's a great feeling. Um, let's get into some Florida football, shall we? Obviously you've been covering this team for a while now. Uh, you're covering it at the end of the Mullen era, like I was to the start of the Napier era. Uh, what uh, in your opinion has been kind of the biggest difference that you've noticed just right off the bat between Mullen and Napier. Oh, wow. Starting me out with the. I'm, with I'm just the, getting into it, man. We're just going to yeah, start right off. That's, no, hey, let's get into no it. Um, <laughs> Only hard. Sure, yeah, just, just a fastball right down the middle. Um, so one thing I'd say in terms of differences between the two coaches, is, and I don't want to necessarily kind of just put – negativity on Mullen more than it already has been um you know just because like he did do some good things at the University of Florida so it's not it wasn't all negative obviously it it's how you finish and obviously he didn't finish so great um and I think that was just a I, I wrote not too long or you know during his era after the South Carolina loss how it just seemed to, that he was kind of apathetic toward just the game in general didn't seem like he wanted to be out there didn't seem like he wanted to do the things that you need to do as a head coach in the sec to realize full potential. And I think that ultimately resulted in Florida kind of declining. And one thing I've seen out of Napier is that he is fully locked in. Uh, he has a plan. His plan is very meticulous. And because of that, I think Florida's on a solid trajectory. It might not start as fast as Mullins did because Mullen was a, and, and no one's ever going to take this away from him. He's one of the best play callers in college football. When he's lining it up, if he has an offense, he is going to make sure that they score points. And that's something we saw from the University of Florida. I'm not necessarily sure that's the case with Napier, but I do think that they are in a good hands in terms of a, a structural program in terms of them just building from this foundation that they're setting this offseason and going into the year in his first kind of big role in 
college football uh, since coming over from Louisiana Lafayette. Yeah, I agree. I think um, obviously covering the last season of Mullen, there are definitely times you could tell he was just a little checked out, I think is fair to say. Um, and I agree. I don't think everything I've read, everything I've seen, Napier seems locked in. He is the three F's. He is faith, family, football through and through. Um, I forget if you were at that opening press conference in December, but I was there with former alligator editor, Ryan Haley. We both looked at each other right after. And we're like, this guy is different than the last guy. Um, I find it interesting that you were talking about kind of Napier's just approach to everything and how at UO Lafayette, you know, it was a very run heavy offense versus Mullen, who you were saying, great play caller, awesome play caller recruiting, maybe not so much. And how you're talking about how Napier has a plan. His plan is meticulous. It's going to take time. I actually wrote a column that it'll be up by the time this airs about Napier's recruiting and how Florida fans maybe were a little impatient, putting it generously. Um, but how Napier's plan has started to work, we've seen over the last few weeks. Obviously, you write a lot about recruiting. Can you touch on that a little bit and how that's been kind of cycling and how his plan is really starting to roll now? Yeah, so he talked not too long ago about the the plan that, you know, everyone's getting to kind of understand what that plan is going forward. Obviously, when you implement something, it, everyone doesn't it doesn't click right away. And especially with all the moving pieces that he has in the recruiting world and also on staff and things like that. I know we've, you know, we'll joke about Napier's army and then we'll look at, you know, the pictures of the stadium full of staffers that, you know, has circulated around Twitter. Uh, but it's, it's, that's real. Everyone is, you know, all in the building. It's just a constant trying to get everyone on the same page. And obviously that was going to take time. Uh, like you said, uh, there's been some Florida fans who have been impatient, um, but that's not necessarily out of character for Florida fans. Uh, it's kind of, you know, that they, they want to win now and I don't necessarily blame them, uh, even though it is good to temper expectations from time to time. But I think the biggest thing that separates Napier from really the past of Florida football and kind of getting the recruiting back to where it should be is his emphasis on kind of building relationships with these kids and not even just them with their parents, their mentors, their coaches, etc. So he's just trying to build a foundation that he can set going into the future so that, you know, if he, if he can make sure that he knows these coaches and these influences in these people's lives, he can relate to them on a deeper level. He can have deeper conversations and they can feel like they're genuinely, he like he genuinely cares about them. Cause he does. I, I genuinely believe that everyone on this staff has an interest in what these kids and what these recruits are, um, you know, trying to become, whether it's in or out of football. And that's the biggest thing to me is just those relationships that he can establish now that'll carry on into the future, whether that be with a parent that's going to be of an upcoming recruit or a coach that's going to have, you know, an, an end for him to kind of pick at that school as long as he's at the University of Florida or elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. A very different approach than what we've seen in the last few years under Mullen. Um, we'll just leave that at that. It wasn't recruiting season during the fall for Dan Mullen, so it's okay. But speaking of that, the program was left in a bit of bit of a disarray, to put it gently, um, when Napier took over. So the on-the-field product this year, it may take some time. I think Florida fans have come around on that a little bit. Um, looking at this roster, I mean, there's still talent here. There's some older talent. There's some younger talent. 
it starts at the top with Anthony Richardson. Uh, we can just kind of go offense, defense, and then kind of go into full season and Utah at the end. That's kind of my thinking. Um, so let's just start on the offensive side of the ball. We'll start at the top with Anthony Richardson. What have you kind of seen from him in camp, and what do you think his season is going to look like? Well, I'm not even going to lie. Um, I haven't. I've been in Jacksonville for the summer, so I've only I only got to attend like two, three camps um, throughout. Which I mean, uh, just from what I've heard um, and seen clips wise, I think Anthony has been uh, kind of progressing in the way that everyone wants him to. Uh, obviously, he still has some mistakes, but he's without a doubt the most talented quarterback on the field whenever he steps out there on the practice field uh he the thing about him is that he's has so much skill and it's really just tapping into that going into the future uh and napier understands that napier understands that kind of building richardson to be more than just a guy who can you know hurdle defenders or you know burst down the sideline for 80 yard touchdown runs and kind of really just hone into that quarterback uh role and be the main guy in the offense obviously last year he started against georgia and that didn't go great but there were a lot of things that he can take away from that and learn from and i think that that's going to help him in the long run you never want to throw out a young quarterback with that much talent against the best defense we've seen uh possibly in the probably (laughs) ever but definitely in the last decade plus uh and so having done that though I think kind of reverting back to, okay, we can learn from this. This is not what your career will entail. Uh, You have the talent to, you have the arm talent, you have the, you know, decision-making ability that's progressing. He's just someone that has to really build from his foundation, because if you just look at him raw, he's already one of, you know, I think he's a top half SEC quarterback heading into the year. And I don't think that's really like a groundbreaking statement. But just because of the inexperience, I, I don't want to put him any higher. I don't want to put him any lower. So it's really just a matter of can he kind of progress to live up to some of the expectations that are being set out for him in this upcoming year. And I think from what I've seen, he can. He, he definitely can. I think just accuracy-wise, he's improving. He's um, getting timing down with his receivers, even though that receiver room is a bit iffy. And then you're also looking at an offense that's going to tailor to what he does well. And obviously, you're going to have – a heavy dose of run. I think about 55% of the offense is going to be run. And then you'll have Anthony adding to that with his ability to, you know, take it and off, take off on the ground. And then also just having that 45% play action, bootlegs, RPOs, that's going to help a lot. Yeah. You brought up the run heavy scheme. I was going to bring that up next. Um, I mean, Napier at Louisiana, you said you think it's going to be about 55%. I'm pretty sure it was up around 60 to 40 at UL Lafayette. Um, He had, what was it, four guys that were above 750 yards and eight touchdowns on the ground last year uh, with the Raging Cajuns. So how do you see the running back room kind of shaping out? Because Florida has guys in that back room, in that backfield room, Montrell Johnson, Naquan Wright, Trevor Etienne brother of NFL legend Travis Etienne, soon to be NFL legend Travis Etienne, and Lorenzo Lingard as well. Um, How do you kind of see those reps splitting up? And more importantly, that offensive line, because a running back group and a running game can only go as far as the blocking in front of it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think the biggest thing about the running game this upcoming year is they have so many dudes in that backfield. And 
I, I know, obviously, you know, you're going to look at Naquan Wright and you're going to say, oh, this is the guy. This is the running back one. This is the guy who's going to play a lot. But similar, and and this, please bear with me here. Don't get Mullen flashbacks to Damian Pierce getting six carries. Um, it's going to be a rotation. There's not a running back one in this offense. But I will say they do tailor to the hot hands. So if someone gets hot, they will stay in there. They're not getting pulled for, you know, right in the middle of their, you know, eight yards per carry and then not coming back into the game until – 15 minutes later it's really just a offense that tries to kind of mix and match based off situation which could mean if it's in a short yarded situation you're going to get the powerful burly back in there if it's a um you know passing down you're going to get a guy that can get in there and kind of move in space well i think naquan's going to be someone that can kind of do both he's going to be someone that can play all three downs montrell will play on the first two downs that's for sure um at times and then i think Trevor Etienne is going to emerge towards the end of the season. I think he has shown that having a brother that's in the NFL, a future legend, as Michael said, is going to be very beneficial for him and his progression because he's very talented. I think, you know, he's 5'8", just over, I think he's like 220. So he's just a bowling ball, but he also moves so swiftly for someone his size. He is a legitimate option to play all three downs he catches the ball out of the backfield he has returner value according to napier so that means we could see him back on kickoffs which i think would be fantastic because if you watched florida football last year um just the special teams and returning units were just not great uh to put it you know uh, nicely but just having someone like etn in that mix will be very fun to watch and they're not afraid to use freshmen so i could see him getting some carries as well uh, but as pertaining to the offensive line, I think it's a vet. It, you look at it and it's a veteran unit. Obviously it's not one of the best. It's not one that's going to be, you know, just pancake dudes every down, but it is one that's going to be uh, stout in my opinion. And especially in the run game, because uh, they kind of are implementing a power rushing scheme. They've been using a zone rushing scheme. So it kind of moves differently. So you're going to have guys kind of, uh, and instead of kind of blocking toward specific zones, it's more so just going to be get downfield, like, or just get downhill. And, um, you know, you're going to have double teams of guys. And I think Osiris Torrance is going to be that guy. Uh, so they're going to, they're going to run at him a lot because he seems to be one of the dudes on the offensive line. That's going to take this team, this rushing game up a level when they get into the season. And, you know, even we want Utah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Osiris Torrance has been graded as one of the best run blockers in college football. Um, like PFF's college grade, he had him at they had him at an 89.4 run blocking grade, which was second among power five guards. That was a huge get for Napier early on in the transfer portal. Um, looking at the receivers really quickly, I know you mentioned earlier that it's a bit of a shaky group. Obviously, they return a lot of guys. Um how do you think that room will kind of shape out and helping get open for Anthony Richardson? Because he needs that. Like, obviously his accuracy is a bit of an issue. Um, he'll progress in that as young quarterbacks do, but you need receivers to get open, especially when you have a younger guy like that. Without a doubt. And I think the biggest thing about this wide receiver group is not necessarily there. I, for me, I, I don't think it's necessarily bad. I just think it's filled of very similar players, which isn't great. You know, you want 
a mixture of this, you know, speedy guys who can get out in space. You want the possession receivers. You want the deep threats. I don't think they really have much of that. They have a lot of possession receivers. Justin Shorter is a possession receiver. Xavier Henderson is a possession receiver. Obviously, you get Ricky Pearsall in from Arizona State. He's going to be huge for the room. They have to have him healthy all year long. He can't afford the, you know, obviously he got banged up in training camp or whatever, you know, just in fall camp. But they, they, they just can't have that. They have to have everyone healthy for this group to take a significant step forward from where it's currently viewed as a, a group that's not so uh, – that's not going to help Anthony uh, kind of progress to where many people expect him to be this season. I think the one thing to me is they're going to play a lot of guys similar to running back. It's just that this team is going to see a significant rotation. And um, I think the biggest thing there is kind of having those players stay fresh because if you look at how, you know, Florida was when they were really, really good passing the football they just had guys all across the field. They just consistently rotated. There were always new players on the field. And then last year you look and it's Jacob Copeland's basically in there every down. Justin Shorter's basically in there every down. You know, you'll occasionally get a guy like Demarcus Weston get in there or, uh, you know, Xavier Henderson will come in and kind of play in a weird role that he doesn't, shouldn't necessarily play in because uh, as, as good as he is and as big as everyone thought he would be in terms of his track speed translating it hasn't but i think just having those constant rotation of guys you know you got ty bowman who's a potential to kind of assume that role out of a juco transfer um you have freshman caleb douglas who i'm very high on any anyways uh it's just there's so many different pieces that you can utilize in this wide receiver room to kind of make up for the ultimate growing pains that it's going to cause from this offense and just having, you know, those pieces, uh, having a guy, you know, and, and I think here, Kiri Colbert, uh, Colbert, whatever, it's going to be huge f- for this team. And I know I'm all over the place, but I, there's, there's so many thoughts running through my mind right now. Uh, you look at what he did at USC with some of the pieces that he got, obviously they were pretty highly ranked recruits when he got them, but he was able to develop them into National Football League players and, and very good ones at that. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown is one of the better wide receivers in the league right now. Uh, Drake London got picked first wide receiver off the board this year. You know, you're just looking at kind of these pieces that have come out of USC recently. And it's like, wow, these guys have really been developed by Kerry Col- Colbert. And it's just if they can do that at UF, if he can take Xavier Henderson and make his, you know, if he can kind of transition him from being the kind of awkward clunky route runner into someone who's crisp and counts steps and is able to really cut in and out of his breaks and kind of work up field and work into defenders and then get out of you know get off of them and create that space and separation for anthony richardson to target him then florida's just fine but if obviously with the talent that they have there's not anyone that's going to emerge as like that dude other than Pearsall, who should be the wide receiver one this year yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting offense to watch. I think Florida fans may be expecting something like, you know, you had 2020, you had Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts and all of these offensive high-flying aerial attack weapons. That's not at all Napier's style. So just get ready for that, Florida fans. It's going to be a very different-looking offense come Saturday 
Uh, I want to quickly touch one, on the defense. One, yeah. one thing I do want to add real quick uh, that I forgot, and I'm going to keep it sweet and simple. It's the rushing game will aid the passing game. And Absolutely. I know I mentioned that earlier, but the lack of wide receivers in, in terms of talent won't be as, as you know, uh, detrimental as it could be because they're going to have those plays where it's a play action. They're able to get open. They do things that suit their strengths. And I know that continues to be a common theme of what I'm saying, but it's true. Everything they do is suiting strengths of other players. So they're running the ball two times and then going deep on third down or running the ball once and then going play action and rolling Anthony out of the pocket and hitting, you know, Pierce on and out, things like that. So I, I think good, that it will be just fine. That's what good coaches do. Like they, they look at the pieces they have and they use their strengths, you know, get AR out on a bootleg get the RPOs going like you were saying earlier. It'll be a fun offense to watch. I'm excited for it. Quickly touching on the defense. I, at this time last year, predicted that Brenton Cox was a dark horse for SEC Defensive Player of the Year. Obviously, I was incorrect on that, but I think I might just predict it again because I'm really excited about him again. You want to talk about Brenton Cox and that defensive line a little bit? Yeah, uh, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say he's a dark horse for SEC Defensive Player of the Year. I think that is going to be locked up by Will Anderson, uh, and I don't really think that's uh That's why I said dark horse. Like, Will yeah. Anderson is like minus 500. Yeah, but I just, like I just don't even away. think – I don't even think there's like any other player that can even touch Will Anderson. He was a first – he was like a top five pick last year as a he sophomore. He, he would have been number one. He would have been number one pick last literally. year. Literally. So he, he's, he's that guy. He is that guy, pal. Uh, so Brenton Cox is an interesting piece, right? He's the dude that you want in that Jack edge rush position. Cause they're running a three, three, five this year. Um, so they're going to have three down linemen, uh, the Jack edge rusher who is technically considered an outside linebacker who's coming off the edge, he's stand-up, so his hand's not in the dirt. Two traditional off-ball linebackers and five defensive backs. And kind of from that odd jack position that's just off the line of scrimmage but not like all the way in the second level just yet, he'll just kind of stand in between. And I think having him stand up like that and really be able to get off the edge, use his speed, build up his power, I think that's going to help him a lot. And and not it's not that he hasn't done it in the past because – I mean, Todd Grantham ran Buck as well, and it's really the sim a similar concept. But I just think that just having kind of that ability to get off the edge consistently and without his hand in the dirt will help him be able to get after quarterbacks and, and really kind of show what he did against FSU last year when he started to emerge as, okay, this guy could really be a piece for Florida next season if he stays. And if that's the case, then – Florida's in a great spot defensively. Florida takes a significant step forward, even though I think they already do with Patrick Tony. but I'll get into that in a second. But if they're able to really utilize Brenton Cox and his strengths there, man, this this defense could take a big step forward because I think Patrick Tony is a wizard. <laughs> the dude is nice with it, and he, he understands the game on a just a level that I would never comprehend. And so it's... I, I like what Florida's you know doing and having Brenton Cox where he's at. The rest of the offensive line, oh or boy. defensive, um, yeah, or defensive line. My fault. Uh, oh boy, oh boy. Um, outside of Gervon Dexter, uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a little shaky, a little shaky, shaky. Um, 
just a little bit. It's, just, just, just a little bit. You know, uh, they're probably going to start Jalen Lee as like a nose tackle. Um, you know, they'll have Desmond Watson rotate in every so often. I think you see guys like Tyreek Sapp and Justice Boone kind of play the um, the other end spot, but they can also bounce inside. It's a multiple front, so you'll have Gervon playing out on the defensive end at, at times. You'll have him playing in at his traditional three tech where he's played uh, as of late, you know, his past few years mostly. And you'll just have a ro- big rotation of guys, but it's just the thin group. It's just not, you know, it's very inexperienced in terms of you just don't have guys that have, significant reps under their belt obviously Tyreek Sapp has shown that he's one of the high risers in camp but he's never played a down at Florida you have Justice Boone who I think appeared in like two or three games last year but recorded like maybe four snaps total he just you know and I think those two are the ones that emerge but it might take a little bit so I'm interested to see how this defensive line pans out but at the same time it's just outside of you know the having Brenton Cox come off the edge, who's just someone that has all those reps under his belt from his time at Georgia. And then obviously from what he's done at Florida, uh, you just don't have that, especially on the interior uh, defensive line heading into the year. No, absolutely. I agree. Which is why I think having that veteran experience in the linebacking group will help a lot. Obviously you have sixth year man, Ventrell Miller, you have fifth year, Mari Bernie, guys like that, that can at least help a little bit in that run game along that front line. Um, looking at the back end of the defense, you mentioned Patrick Tony. He's the co-defense coordinator slash the safeties coach, one of Napier's guys at UL, one of one member of his army, probably one of the most important members of his army, I would say. The, the most important member of his army. I mean, Napier's second in command, if we're using military terms. Uh, what do you think he'll do? with this secondary in particular and the overall defense because the cornerback group they have a lot of talent but they're very young so that's kind of one of my main position groups to watch is i guess a way to put it yeah uh i think when you look at patrick tony's resume his history he's a defensive back oriented play caller defensively i think the biggest thing about him is he's going to set up his his secondary to make plays and make them consistently. Uh, And as a result, I think that, you know, obviously the youth on in the cornerback room is, isn't great, but then you look at and you see who's coaching them and you're like, Oh, they'll be fine. Uh, Obviously Corey Raymond coming over from LSU has just been a hotbed for cornerback development, recruiting and development for just decade plus ever since he got there they've just been consistently cycling in and out nfl guys each and every year i mean you think about it you think you know obviously Derek stingley went last year you had guys like tredavious white uh you know obviously tyron matthew who was a safety um you know grant delpit who was a safety greedy williams is even a guy that got into the nfl obviously he wasn't hasn't panned out for the browns but he's still just been they just had guys come in and out of that program and it's just been very very fun to watch and now florida has that guy the architect of what lsu became there on their staff and so when i look at cornerbacks i'm not necessarily worried about the the cornerbacks that they have um there uh but you look in the back end in, in patrick tony's unit and it's a very interesting mix of veterans and youth obviously you have the two 
kind of mainstays from last year and the only position group I believe that returned both of its starters or you know all of its starters and Rashad Torrent and Tradine. So you have those two kind of being the spearheads of the group and then you have you'll have Donovan McMillan and Kamari Wilson coming off the bench. So you're just going to have once again a rotation of guys who all do different things very well. Obviously, you know, you look at Rashad Torrance and Tradine, they're going to take your head off coming across the middle of the field. Both of them are. They're going to try to just rip <laughs> rip your head off if you come across the middle of the field, and they don't care. Uh, and then, obviously, both of those guys play better in the box, but then you'll get another guy who will come in and pair with one of them, like McMillan or Corey Wilson, who can be that kind of uh, piece in the in a one high or, you know, kind of be that deep safety if they need to because they're athletic and rangy where they can get from sideline to sideline and make plays on the ball deep down the field. So you're able to kind of have those mixing and matching and create situational personnel sets where you're able to kind of capitalize on the talent each guy provides. And I think Tony understands that better than really anyone uh, on this, you know, just staff in general and just understands that if I put this guy here, we're going to be able to make a play. Um, and then I know that I know I'm, I'm just long winded. I'm sorry. But another thing is they're going to have a significant amount of it's going to be a multiple front that they run. So you're going to see a bunch of, you know, I mentioned a three, three, five earlier. You're going to see, you know, times where it's a, uh, you know, just a traditional four, three. You're going to see times where it's a, you know, even you'll look at it and say, oh, my gosh, there's 60 B's on the field. So the, he's going to have so many different pieces that rotate in and out. Uh, that are all situational. It's all based on, okay, what look is the offense giving us? All right, what down is it? How are we going to defend this third and 13? All right, let's throw six DBs on the field. How are we going to defend this, you know, fourth and two that could potentially create, you know, some kind of play action where they want to get out in space? All right, let's throw a rangy linebacker like Dewan Black on the field and pair him with Finch Romeo and Amari Bernie who, who can stop the run. Just little things like that that kind of go into a uh, play caller's mind that he's going to consistently bring each and every game for, you know, as long as he's here. And I think this is, you know, kind of my uh, first time stating this. I think after two or three seasons, he earns a head coaching job of his own heading, you know, forward. I agree. I think that I they have the right pieces in place for that defense. I don't think it's going to be, you know, that 2020 defense I was allowing 30 points, 500 yards a game. You're not going to see that at all. This is a completely, obviously, new regime. It's going to be a lot different, but it might surprise Florida fans just how different if they just haven't been really paying attention this offseason. And so coming into Saturday, it's going to look a lot different. I can't state that enough. Um, And speaking of Saturday, let's get into it. In the Swamp, Top 10, number seven, Utah coming into Gainesville. What do you think? I mean, Utah is a two and a half point favorite, according to Vegas and the odds makers, and they always seem to know something. Um, I don't think Utah's ever played in an environment like Ben Hill. Um, you could argue maybe Oregon, but I don't I don't see that uh, at all. Oregon's not close. No, it's I agree. Close. I was thinking that's probably the only thing that even – potentially is in the same conversation as what they're going to experience down here. Um, So obviously first game of the Napier era, fans are going to be showing out, but looking at purely the X's and O's perspective, obviously the swamp is going to play a factor. How do you think Florida matches up with the Utes? 
So that's kind of a packed question. Um, just trying to kind of match them up in general. Uh, but obviously Utah's not ranked the seventh best team in the nation for no reason. Obviously this is a team that went to the Rose Bowl, Rose Bowl last year. They went blow for blow with uh, one of the most talented Ohio State offenses I've seen in quite some time. And I've been following Ohio State since I was little. Um, my dad was actually a Ohio State fan. So I've always just kind of had that background of watching them. So I got a very up close and personal look at Utah at the end of last year. But I think the biggest thing about Utah is their, what I think to be their discipline. Because obviously with Kyle Whittingham, they've, he's been there for 17 years. Everyone understands what's going on. Everyone understands the product that they're trying to put onto the field. And as a result, I don't think that, you know, obviously there, there's not going to be any mental mistakes that are made because of just mental mistakes. Like it's all going to be ha- having to be forced by the atmosphere that Florida, you know, always provides the swamp always provides. Uh, but that means that it might be toned down from what, you know, it, if to put it in perspective, it's not going to be Florida against Kentucky last year. Like even at its worst, it's still not even going to be Florida against Kentucky because it's just, that's just not how Utah operates. And then obviously you have a returning quarterback in Cameron rising going into his junior season, kind of asserted himself last year in a a three overtime loss against San Diego state from Utah, which should provide Florida fans with some sort of confidence because they lost to San Diego state, but you kind of had him progress throughout the year, show that he's one of the better quarterbacks in the nation. Uh, and, And now he comes into this year with those reps under his belt, ready to kind of put forth his best foot as he goes in um, into the swamp and to a raucous environment. Uh, And that offense is really just going to be tailored around him. They're going to have four running backs that they utilize, which is going to really test that defensive line early on. They're going to have, you know, new pieces at wide receiver, which should be interesting. Uh, They have two veteran tight ends and all five starters from their offensive line return. They returned 17 starters in total. That's what I was going to bring up is how many, people they returned especially on the offensive side they lost a few key pieces on defense but that offensive line returning all five starters you can't understate how big something like that is especially along the offensive line um so that will be very interesting on the defensive side of the ball obviously they lost Devin Lloyd he was a first rounder to the beloved Jacksonville Jaguars um and Florida transfer Mohamed Diabate most likely going to try to step up and fill that and fill that spot. Um, that's probably where I see their biggest loss coming from on that defensive side of the ball. But this is still, like you said, a very disciplined team yes. um, offensively and defensively. They don't make a lot of mistakes. So how do you think the swamp can get to a team that's veteran like that? Obviously you saw Bama last year, um, they didn't make many mistakes, but they still made a few. And that was a Nick yeah. Saban coach team. So do you see something similar, something more, maybe something less? Maybe Utah comes in and like that has no effect. I personally don't see that happening. Um, what do you think? The big thing to me is the swamp is very real. Like, and you can't simulate it obviously they're saying like oh we're playing with noise and and we're turning the air up to you know 100 degrees and i'm like that's great that's awesome i can't wait till it rains the you know hours before and you step out there to a you know 100 humidity and we're just rocking with you know in the still air that it that the swamp brings and i just 
plus the fan you know kind of perspective where it's just loud from start to finish like you just can't even hear yourself think and i i i always call back to that lamichael p ryan run down the sideline against auburn that video that is circulated on twitter uh, at least once a month it feels like i feel like i see that all the time Same. and it continues and it continues i mean that that game happened in 2019 and that's still a common thing to see uh that is what the swamp brings and because of that i do think that we see something similar to you know alabama where they do make those mistakes even though they're you know returning those 17 starters on offense and defense they're kind of bringing in one of the more disciplined teams in college football with whittingham having his process down and you know just implemented for years and years and years it creates this kind of thought that i mean florida might not be more talented than this utah team and i don't think they are i think utah on paper is better but what can the swamp provide for florida does that mean because obviously you see two and a half in favor of utah and if this was a neutral site or in utah that would not be the case the swamp gives them a chance it does it gives florida a chance uh they just have to execute at a high level and i think if they do that they're in a very good spot to win it. i'm not going to go out and say they win it because like i said utah is better than them but if they can kind of hang in with that number seven ranked team even if they fall short that should be a very promising start to billy napier's tenure at the university of florida because it's going to set a benchmark all right where are we and where do we need to get and if they can do that and kind of have use that atmosphere to boost their production on the field produce their you know efficiency they should be in in it from start to finish against Utah and possibly even leading at points um, with the way that I think this game's going to go. No, I agree completely. Utah is a better team on paper, but I do think the swamp, the energy, that's a very real thing. And the line wouldn't be two and a half. If this was in Utah, it would be probably eight and a half, nine. Um, And so it'll be, it'll be a fun night, Saturday night, um, ESPN, 7 PM kick. And then my last question here uh, before I let you go, this has been awesome, Brandon. Thank you so much again. Um, you don't have to give a number because I know you've been working on like your season breakdown, season preview, whatever. So you don't need an exact number, just like win-loss general prediction because it's a tough schedule. Obviously, after Utah, hosting, hosting Kentucky, and then you get Tennessee at Tennessee a few weeks later, and then you get to the meet in the middle of that schedule, you get LSU, Georgia, AM, South Carolina. It's not an easy slate for Napier's first season. So what do you think? Because I fall somewhere between six to eight wins. And I think eight wins in a solid bowl game is right around where I would have this team at its ceiling just for this year. Um, what are what are your thoughts? No, I agree. Uh I have them, I think seven or eight is is my number i know you know you said i don't have to give numbers but i've kind of been bouncing in between that seven and eight number uh and like you said this is a very tough schedule this is not a, a walk in the park obviously you know you you mentioned the, the tough stretch of you know georgia lsu texas a&m whatever it's a 
one that's going to be daunting. But then you look at some of their other teams on the schedule. Obviously, Utah in week one is a difficult game. Uh, Kentucky coming to the Swamp might may not be what it was last year when they went to Kroger Field, but it's still going to be a tough atmosphere because Mark Stoops has that team playing some hard-nosed football. And then you go to Tennessee in week four, and you're looking at a team that could potentially put up 40 points a game this year because their offense is just so dynamic. They might not stop anybody, but if they can outscore them, it doesn't matter. So you're just looking at potential games that are just going to be, uh, it feels like it's just going to be big game after big game after big game for Florida. And if they can kind of create a rhythm where they're going into that difficult stretch of Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M, they're able to kind of move forward into, um, they can, you know, steal a game from LSU, steal a game from Texas A&M. Um, I, I don't think they beat Georgia, but that's a conversation for another time. I think having that, you know, it, it's just all going to have to snowball. If they can't make that happen, if they, you know, drop that, you know, early game against Tennessee on the road, if they're, you know, not playing great and they go into Georgia and get blown out and then have to travel the next week, it's just not going to be uh, what they really expect it to be um, in terms of being able to kind of put together that eight and four and then a good bowl game. They're going to kind of be in that seven and five, uh, you know, even six and six, and then kind of have to fight for another Gasparilla bowl. So it's just, (laughs) it's just an interesting schedule and it all just really comes down to how many games can they win at home? If they can control home field advantage, then they'll be fine. They've only lost two games at home in the past two years, by the way, one came on a shoe throw. Let's just let's just all take a moment of silence. I, I, I thought we were never talking about that again. I thought the we second, I thought we agreed like as as a Gator Nation to never yeah, talk well, about to never mention the name Marco Wilson again. But, I mean, I didn't mention his name. You did. And then number two, <laughs> and then number two was last year on a missed extra point against Bama, against mm-hmm. the reigning SEC champion and eventual national champion runner up. Mm-hmm. So. Florida doesn't lose at home, even when they're bad. So if they can, and I, I don't think they, I think they, there's a, if they lose against Utah, they beat Kentucky. If they beat Utah, I think they beat Kentucky, but I still just think that there's that kind of leniency of like, okay, they, the worst they're going to do is split those two games. They're not going to start out. 0 two. I, I just don't see it, but anything's possible. Anything can happen. And given where this team is at compared to where they should be, we have really it's kind of hard to put a you know your finger on where exactly they're going to place or be uh when it comes time for a legitimate kind of you know schedule breakdown prediction and seeing those games so i'll have my uh final answer here in the upcoming days of where i'm putting florida uh, but i'd expect it to be around the seven or eight range and i'll give you which games i think they drop yeah and make sure to read that on SIL Gators. Make sure to follow Brandon on Twitter at It's B Carol. Um, Brandon, thank you so much again for taking taking some time out of your day to talk with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And um, we'll see you again. Hopefully have you on again at some point during the season. Absolutely. I appreciate your uh, invite and it was a fun time. Uh, Just once again, thank you to Brandon Carroll for coming on the show today. Make sure to follow him once again at it's B Carol. That is at it's B Carol. Um, and make sure to read his pieces on SI All Gators. They do great work over there. Upcoming this week for the Florida Gator Cross Country has their first event of the season Friday. 
obviously, Florida football takes on Utah Saturday night, 7 p.m. ESPN. And then men's golf will start their first matches of the season Sunday and Monday. Uh, Florida volleyball has a match Sunday, and soccer has a match on Sunday as well. So packed weekend, full of Florida sports. Make sure to follow at Alligator Sports for all of your Gator athletic needs. Make sure to follow me at Michael underscore Hall 33. Follow the Alligator. Read the Alligator. Support student journalism. Support local journalism. Um, And if you listen this far, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alligator.